0: So Dr. Johnson was um, supposed to be speaking this morning, and you, yet he uh, he ended up hurting his back over the weekend. And so you have a non-Dr. Johnson who's stepping in last minute, uh, but looking forward to just being able to hopefully encourage you still further in what we've been studying. We've, we've been covering a lot of material over the past a few months really and it's a, it's easy to lose sight of the forest for the trees you know we start to we start to dig into a lot of this the individual topics and and uh, so this and we're going to be diving still further into individual topics in the weeks ahead um but today i want to kind of pull the car over and just try to remind us of what's at stake And why there's a sense of urgency to the material that we've been teaching and covering in Sunday school recently? Caring for one another's souls is not something that we do just to sort of help each other feel better uh, or behave better, but it's often spiritual triage in high-stakes situations. All right, so I want to sort of pull away from looking at the individual topics, reorient ourselves as to why this is urgent and why this is important. That We all really uh, grab hold of the teaching and seek to live it out. And then in the weeks ahead, we'll continue to dive back into individual topics and how to care for one another and our own souls, our own selves, um, with those individual topics. So this morning, we're going to be looking at Hebrews chapter 12, verses 12 to 17. Hebrews as a whole is really written as an encouragement and an exhortation for people who have been struggling, people who have been enduring hardship, enduring persecution, who are tempted even to pull away from faith in Christ and sort of revert back to um, an old and familiar and even safer, more comfortable sort of faith in Judaism specifically. And so he's been writing through the book of Hebrews all about uh, the, the, the excellencies of Christ, the excellencies of Him as a priest, the excellencies of His work of atonement, and, and how when you compare that to the Old Testament priests and the Old Testament sacrifice and on and on and on, there is no comparison to, between the two, that, that Christ is far superior, His work is far superior. Um, and so all of that as a, as a way of saying, don't turn away, cling to Christ. Anchor yourselves in Christ. And we get to chapter 12, and the writer encourages the the people that um, in the midst of this difficult life of faith, there is a vast cloud of witnesses up in heaven, those who have already walked this faith and have completed their journey and now are urging us on and, and giving uh, testimony through their lives and through their faithfulness that the life of faith and the journey of faith really is completable. And yet there's difficulty and there's hardship. There's a need for endurance. That's why he says, fix your eyes uh, on on Jesus and consider him. And he reminds them in verse 4, you've not yet resisted to the point of shedding blood, which gives a little bit of perspective uh, to, to them and to all of us. And he gives them a theology then of even viewing difficulty through the lens of God's loving and constructive correction. But, so that's, that's the beginning of chapter 12, and we're just sort of parachuting in here. So that's why I say all that so that you know where we're jumping into. But in, in verse 12, he turns to some practical action. He turns to um, giving the response that flows then from this right perspective. It's like you're in the midst of, a, of an ultra-marathon, which I have never run. Anybody ever run an ultra marathon? I'd be amazed. No? Because they're, they're, they're 135 miles long, grueling distance, grueling terrain. And, and what he's, the way that the writer is writing right here is as if you're about 75 miles in, okay, which is in and of itself mind-blowing to me. But at 75 miles in, you have a mere 60 more miles to go in this race. And your your, your coach, your team's over on the sidelines saying, Buck up, kid, you've only begun. You don't even know what pain is yet. But 75 miles in, maybe you're feeling like your arms are aching and your knees are aching and your posture's starting to sag because posture is important for momentum and for continued action. You feel like you can barely hold yourself up and you know it's in God's plan and that everything will work out for good, but... What do you do? Or maybe, maybe, I don't think you actually run ultra marathons in a team event, but let's say hypothetically you were on a team and you're looking to the, 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 the person next to you and you may be running fine and yet you see some fumbling. You see a little bit of stooping in their posture, and instead of the arms being strong and in the right position, they're they're, they're struggling endurance-wise. What do you do? Well, this is what The writer of Hebrews is seeking to tell the church that he's writing to, and uh, by extension us as a church, as we run the Christian race, what does it look like? How do we run together and seek to care for one another in the midst of the struggle that is life? He says this in verse 12. He says, Therefore, strengthen the hands that are weak and the knees that are feeble, And make straight paths for your feet, so that the limb which is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. Pursue peace with all men, and the sanctification without which no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one comes short of the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springing up causes trouble, and by it may be defiled. That there be no immoral or godless person like Esau, who sold his own birthright for a single meal. You know that even afterwards when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected for he found no place for repentance, though he sought for it with tears. So in the midst of this, this notion of, of running the Christian race, of living the Christian life and acknowledging that there's hardships and there's difficulties and there's pain and that there is a serious need for endurance, that this is not a sort of a, a walk in the park with puppy dogs and butterflies and hot cocoa in your hand and it's just sort of easy All right. He gives three responses for us to consider as a church, together. One being this, the response of mutual strengthening. We need to be aware that as we run this race, we need to be mutually strengthening one another. Why is it mutual? Because there's both a self-concern and a concern for others that we have to be cognizant of and we have to be intentional to live out. I actually think the emphasis here is, is actually more oriented towards others, that the focus here is not, hey, if your hands are weak, you individually, Justin, Justin, worry about Justin's hands that are weak. I actually think that no, no, the, the, the idea is that as you're looking around and you see weak hands or feeble knees, you need to be concerned to strengthen the other's hands and knees as they might appear and be feeble, or weak. There is truth to the application of these principles towards yourselves, but the concern is generally mutual. See, when you see see this notion of, of hands that are weak and knees that are feeble, that's a person struggling to live the Christian life. That's a person who's running, and as they're running, they're faltering. They're struggling to respond to hardship with faith, They're struggling to keep putting foot in front of foot in the face of ongoing pain or continual burdens. Is anyone coming to your mind while I say this? The analogy here is that a runner's getting tired. His strength is dwindling. He's losing focus and his motivation, that is his hope and his goal is fading. And we need to strengthen those types of, of runners. Uh, it's a little bit like um, like Aaron and her and how they acted with Moses back in one of the very first battles. I think it was with the Amalekites in Exodus 17. Do you remember that? As long as Moses was holding up his arms and the staff, then Israel would win, and then he got tired, and he'd drop his arms and the staff, and then the Amalekites would start to win, and then he'd wrestle his arms back up, and the, 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 the flow of the battle would turn in the favor of the Israelites again, and Aaron and her, probably watching this going, I see a correlation here. And what do they do? Moses, go man, you got it. Put that staff up. No, 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 no. They said, okay, here, sit on this rock. I'll hold this arm. You hold that arm. And through that strengthening act of one another, God's purpose was carried out and the victory was Israel's. And so when we feel or see drooping as a church body in the, the church body around us, we need to take action. We don't you know, shake our heads and hope for the best. We don't sort of just cheer from the sidelines and hope that somebody muscles up the gumption to get through it and to press on. We follow the pattern of the writer of Hebrews and, and he says, therefore, you all strengthen the hands that are weak take action this is not a passive verb this is an active verb bring strength to those that are weak you see the drooping you note the cause and you seek to strengthen the weakness you see how this relates to everything that we've been talking about now for a few months in this sunday school class you see how it relates to biblical soul care? If we see discouragement or struggle, that's, that's the drooping. That's the the, the weakness. That's the the, um, the lameness. So then we ask the right questions, like we've been talking about. What is going on? Where's your heart at? What's happening, and how are you responding? And then we provide the right companionship to truly grasp the problem, you know, not just sort of, I hear about 30 seconds, slap a verse on it, and we all move on with life. But then we provide proper biblical perspective and right and, and actual life-bringing hope, not just, ah, it'll get better, I'm sure that'll pass, but hey, let's focus on Christ, think about eternity, understand the character of the Lord and His work in your life in the midst of the situation, and we bring those things to bear for the sake of strength, So the runner will run with invigoration, reinvigorated fervor and energy. So we need to be aware that when we see those those drooping hands and and shaking knees as it is, then we need to just really be intentional to provide for that mutual strength. And, And that's why we're teaching what we're teaching. How do we do that? Well, that's everything that we've been talking about. If you haven't been here, then you only have about three months of material to go back and catch up on. And it's all on, on the website. So go for it. It'd be great. We also need to be seeking for mutual alignment. All right. So when he says here in um, verse 13, Make straight paths for your feet so that the limb, which is lame, may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. There's a bit of an allusion here back to, um, back to Proverbs Chapter 4, which I want to read to you. It says this in Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23. It says, Watch over your heart with all diligence, for from it flow the springs of life. That in and of itself is is some good impetus and momentum to to listen carefully and to put into practice everything that we've been studying uh, regarding soul care. Watch over your heart with all diligence, for from it flow the springs of life. Put away from you a deceitful mouth and put devious speech far from you. Now listen to this. Let your eyes look directly ahead and let your gaze be fixed straight in front of you. Watch the path of your feet and all your ways will be established. Do not turn to the right nor to the left. Turn your foot from evil. Feet generally are just understood to be referring to walking the Christian life. Okay, we're going to see this in, in Ephesians 4 as well. I urge you, therefore, to walk worthy. Walking feet, it's life. It's living the life, running the race that is the Christian life. And and, and then biblically, there's always this notion of a straight, and often along with that straight is the idea of flat and smooth. But basically, the right kind of path, and then you've got the convoluted, twisted, bumpy, um, ill-constructed path. And those are lifestyles. Those are, those are mindsets, those are choices, those are, are um, situations that you find yourself in. It's biblical living. The straight path is the idea of biblical living, both ideolo- ideologically and ethically. So we make straight paths, we live straight paths when we follow God's Word in our lives and we conform our thinking to His again, like we've been talking about for months, this is not circumstance-driven. This is heart and mind-driven. So a, a, a smooth and straight path is not uh, an easy, comfortable life. A smooth and straight path is a life that, is, that, that, that the, 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 the borders are defined the direction is defined, the goal is in view, and the path is charted by God's word and by God's will for us in our our lives. It's our priorities, it's our hopes, it's our goals. And so the writer here is saying, make straight paths for your feet. And again, this is not just, you know, Aaron, make sure that your path is straight. This is talking to the whole church in a communal sense of watch each other's feet as well. Consider one another's paths and how you can help to straighten those paths. And if you do that, look at the result of making a straight path. He says, So that the limb which is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. See, there's a limb at hand right now. Again, thinking about running Running the race, Um, I'm not a particularly good runner, and so it takes me, I don't know, about a quarter mile to feel like my my knee or my ankle might be on the verge of lameness. But that doesn't mean I'm out totally, it just means that, that something's a little weak. And so if then you start to you continue to run on that weak lame joint and you start to hit some some weird bumps and you got to take some hard turns then chances are good that that weak joint is going to be incapacitated put out of joint at which point you're done and you're sidelined because if your knee gets dislocated you're not running the race All right that's that's the point here so there's a there's a limb that is lame, it's weak, but is not out. And so then we seek to make straight paths instead of allowing someone to run on a path that's, that's bumpy and convoluted and twisty and sharp and treacherous. We seek to help to chart a course for them that is smooth and straight and defined and clear because depending on what could happen next, that limb could be put out of joint totally, or it can be healed. You see that? So that the limb which is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. And so it's healed when we smooth and straighten the path in front of our brothers and sisters. We need to seek to do it for ourselves, but we also have a communal responsibility to do it for one another. And we do this by providing good biblical counsel and support for each other in the the daily difficulty of the path of, of, of Christian living. And that way, a faltering faith is not then destroyed by further impact from faulty thinking or wrong choices, but rather it's given the space that it needs. It's given the the, the breath, as it were, the refreshment and the opportunity to heal by facilitating life choices and heart perspectives that honor the Lord and are restorative. And this is something that we do for one another. It's important that we seek to do it for ourselves, but I believe here... Okay. See if you can follow this. I believe here that the writer is telling us that the great physician, who is the one who ultimately heals the soul, who heals the joint, as it were, the great physician sends the spiritually lame to the recovery center of the church. We are the recovery center for one another, which God says, go there so that you can be healed. So that you don't strain that joint even further and incapacitate yourself, but in the church, in the council, in the fellowship, in the soul care, in the love and the encouragement and the admonishment and the rebuke and the care and the bearing of one another's burdens, in the midst of all of that is found the opportunity to be healed and restored. And so we can't abdicate and we can't defer We must seek to strengthen one another and to facilitate the healing alignment for each other's good. So we need each other. We need each other to be able to finish this race. And that's why we're doing this series in Sunday School. It's crucial that we care for one another in the midst of the struggle of the life of faith. All right, so Hebrews 12 is showing us that there's a need for mutual strengthening. There's a need for mutual alignment in the midst of that healing atmosphere. And then there's a, there's a very important need here for mutual objectives. All right, so it says in verse 14, Pursue peace with all men and the sanctification without which no one will see the Lord. It's, it's an important note right off the bat. Okay, this is the infamous... English language isn't sufficient when it comes to second person plural verbs, right? And this is where Rick, who's in Tennessee right now, and so I am sure he's embracing those second plural verbs all the more heartily now, but this is, the, this is y'all, okay? This is not, you know, Aaron pursue, but this is you all pursue, okay? I just, I'm not Southern, so it doesn't work, but... You all pursue peace with all men and the sanctification without which no one will see the Lord. This notion of pursue, okay, that you all are supposed to be doing. This is an intensive thing. This is not like, oh, you know what, I'm going to pursue losing weight in the new year. I'm going to pursue uh, a Bible reading plan and three days later, you know, it's all sort of just sort of fizzled. This is, this is not this. This is not that. This is this is an intensive word that's used for even for the, the the point of persecution. Pursue as if you are set on persecuting with that kind of an intensity whatever it is you're pursuing. This was Jesus saying to Saul. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Same word. Why are you pursuing me so vigorously and intentionally? And, and, and single-focusedly, Saul at that point was just like, look, I'm not even thinking about anything else. I am just going after them. And that's what Jesus is saying. It's the notion of, of Jesus even warning his disciples, they, they persecuted me, they're going to persecute you. They pursued me with such aggression and such focus, and they're going to pursue you in the same way for negative ends. But then it's also what we're, so how we're supposed to pursue love in 1 Corinthians which is the highest pursuit, right? With such a single-minded focus and intentionality, it's as if we're persecuting it. All right, so you all are supposed to pursue almost as if you were intent on persecuting two things. There are two objects of pursuit, and its I really think it's best understood, and I'm not just making it up. its It's grammatically Greek verifiable, but it's best understood as like a communal pursuit, okay? So when you read, pursue uh, peace with all men, it's easy to think I'm pursuing my relationship of peace with everybody around me. And there's, there's, there's truth to that, but the, the, the grammar is such that it's pursue with all men two things, peace and sanctification, so I think it's best to understand that this pursuit is a communal pursuit and that as a community together, we are to be pursuing two things, peace and sanctification. And that this, this, is, this is important in the midst of the, of, of the Christian life and, and the Christian race that often has struggles. I mean, think about it. You're struggling you're, you're, you're feeling lame, or this person over here is feeling weak or discouraged, and then suddenly there's conflict and there's strife. What does that do? Does that heal that, that, that joint that's lame? No. Does that minister and bring, bring a restorative alignment to somebody who's struggling? No, it, it exacerbates the problem. It makes it worse. It, it actually is going to be prone to bring stumbling blocks to people. We know that peace is a general characteristic of a believer. Matthew 5 tells us the blessed are the peacemakers. But again, remember, the writer to the Hebrews is saying, he's writing at a time when people are struggling and when they're tempted to fall away. And he's saying, look, you all need to realize that it's important as a church body, pursue jointly, together, pursue peace. Pursue it like there, like there is that's your sole pursuit like you 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 are just getting after it like nobody's business there's no competition there Romans 14:19 has a parallel idea so then we pursue the things which make for peace and the building up of one another and it's focus here within the church we need to have a mutual objective that we all are pursuing Peace with vigor and passion. And that we're also pursuing the second object of this pursuit, which is sanctification. Now, there's different words in this family that's used for different emphases. There's the idea of moral purity. There's the idea of the actual act of being cleansed from sin. And then there's the setting apart, the consecration unto something, which usually has then associated with it the idea of, of you, you conduct yourself in a certain way. The, the, the standard dictionary says that it's personal dedication to the interests of a deity, personal dedication, setting yourself aside for the, for the, the use and the, the good and the service of a deity. The idea is in Romans six nineteen. For just as you presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, resulting in further lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, resulting in sanctification, resulting in setting yourself aside for the use of God, for the good of God and the good of God's people, for the glory of God's name, for the service of his will, for the obedience to his word and all of that. One commentator, Lensky, says this, the word denotes a process by which we become separated unto God in our entire life and conduct. There's, 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 there's two nuances to this, and here, here's what he's going to say. We who are already hagioi, or we are already sanctified, we're already set apart, positionally, are ever to continue in pursuit of hagiosmos, which is a life that is more and more sanctified, set apart, dedicated to God. And so we, as a whole church, together, should be pursuing that. And we need to be concerned, we need to be aware of each other's pursuit of sanctification. It's crucial. It's important. It's not legalism, right? It's not legalism to care about somebody's sanctification. It's important. Because look at what he says. Pursue peace, with all men pursue peace, and the sanctification, look at this, without which no one will see the Lord. Sanctification is required to see God. And what what is it to see God? That's the, 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 the final goal of salvation, right? This life of faith will be done in eternity because we will see God. And there's no more need for faith because that which is not seen is seen. And so our hope is not at that point in what is not seen, but our assurance and our hope and our, and our, and our, our, our faith is realized in what is seen before us. And so the holiness here, the sanctification is highlighted because it's required for something. It's required to see God. God. Matthew 5.8 said, Blessed are the pure in heart. Blessed are those who are so, so wholly focused in their heart's orientation upon the Lord, for they shall see God. The end of the race is seeing God. It's the end game of perseverance. If you don't care to see the Lord, then don't bother running the race. Because that's the whole point. You run the race to be with the Lord because you know who He is and you know what He's done and you know because of what God's Word tells us what life is going to be like in eternity in His presence. And so we run, so we endure, so we press on, so we cling to Christ, and so we help each other in that process because eventually faith will one day become sight. And this is universally true, but again, it's applied in the context of the church and its members. Church, People in our church who, who do not have this sanctification will not see God. And that's hard to say. But this is fuel, all right? This is fuel for a care and concern for yourself and for the others around you. What does it look like to pursue peace and sanctification? That's what we have in the the next phrase here, in verse 15 down to 17. So really, strictly speaking, he says here, pursue with all men peace and the sanctification without which no one will see the Lord. And then the idea is verse 15 is a, a participle, seeing to it. So verse 15 down to 17, help us to understand what it means to pursue peace and sanctification together. It gives time and means. See to it, this is the when and the how of pursuing peace and sanctification. And the word word here is from the same word that we get overseer or elder from. All right? It's an ongoing active process of overseeing, see to it, overseeing each other unto the in, in the ways that is gonna be then described. P.T. O'Brien says, in in urging them to do this, the author expects them. This is remember, the church as a whole, the author expects them to show the same deep pastoral concern, because he's using the same word that the, that the office of elder finds its root in. He expects them to show the same deep pastoral concern for one another that he has for them. Significantly, the call to be vigilant is addressed to everyone in the community. While their leaders may have particular pastoral and teaching responsibilities, this activity of watchful care is incumbent on everyone regardless of their pastoral uh, particular gifts. And if you remember right, that's how we kind of kicked off this series was saying everything that we're talking about in this Sunday school series to come, God looks at you and says, this is for you. And so here, even as the same ideas, look, an elder has the office of overseer, but we all have the responsibility to help oversee one another. And that's how we pursue peace. And that's how we communally pursue sanctification is that we look out for one another and we help provide oversight and care for one another. And this care and oversight that he's going to talk about manifests itself in three areas of concern. All right, when you see the words not any, not any, not any, those, uh, those reflect this structure. And it's concerns in our oversight. We need to provide oversight out of concern for these three things. We need to be concerned for progress that there not be any who fall short of the grace of God. The idea of falling short is the idea of just having a lack. The idea of being left behind, of of missing something, of just kind of coming short of the fullness. And then the grace of God is the state of favor that God bestows. Lenski says this, The picture is that of believers being carried forward to eternal salvation by God's grace. And instead of being carried forward to heaven like the rest, this individual is left standing behind and thus lost. See to it that no one comes short of the grace of God. And this might sound extreme, but Hebrews has multiple warnings of this sort of intensity. Hebrews chapter 3, verse 12, chapter 4, verse 1, chapter 6, verses 4 to 6, chapters 10, verses 26 to 31 are all strong, strong warnings. And in essence, we're to take care and we're to give oversight that no one gets to the judgment and says, Lord, Lord, and is not known by the Savior. We are to provide oversight and and care for one another so that that doesn't happen. We can't can't let a a kind of a what what I understand to be a very real social pressure to, you know, well, just kind of keep to your own business and stay out of my business. There is that very real, especially American kind of social pressure. But if there's concern that someone might be falling short of the grace of God, then we need to act on that concern and we need to receive somebody's act of concern on our behalf, recognizing that that is how we pursue communally peace and sanctification together. We also need to be concerned for corruption. Not any, not any root, that no root of bitterness springing up causes trouble and by it many be defiled. Bitterness Bitterness is a really easily justifiable, not as in like actually justifiable, but it's easy for us to justify in our heads. Let's say rationalize. that's a better word. It's an easily uh, rationalized, rationalized sin. But at its root, bitterness is not just, I'm struggling with resentment. Uh, no, 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 no. Bitterness at its root is a defiance of God. Bitterness at its root is a turning away from God and His descriptions of how He orchestrates life, how He is sovereign over life, and a rebellion against His own commands for how then to deal with and to respond to to life's circumstances and to people in the midst of relationships. The only reason that we hang on to bitterness, and I speak of this, understanding the the struggle and having struggled with it and having dealt with it and having to, to wrestle with it. I understand that, but it's just rebellion against what God has said and what he commands and what he has ordained to happen. It's refusing to acknowledge God or his word or his character in a particular situation. It's like Deuteronomy 29. God is saying, I'm giving you these commands and I'm giving you this covenant so that there will not be among you a man or a woman or a family or tribe whose heart turns away today from the Lord our God to go and serve the gods of those nations and that there will be no one among you, that there will not be among you a root bearing poisonous fruit and wormwood. It's almost like God knows what was going to happen. And it plays out, right, in the history of Israel that as the people turn from God, as they rebel against God, as they deny His word, and as they pursue their own interests and ends and start to then become idolaters, they do. They drag everybody down with them, and many are defiled. And so this root of bitterness, if it's in our lives, if it's in our body, it has some serious ramifications. Many are defiled. It speaks of something that's unholy, something that's unacceptable to God. Note, note the, the, the competition there Okay, of what was said in verse 14. Pursue pay, peace and the sanctification, setting aside of something holy to God. But bitterness, watch out for that because if we're supposed to be pursuing this, bitterness is antithetically opposed to sanctification because bitterness brings defilement. It brings a souring effect produced by turning away from God. It's like a gangrene that begins like a black spot, a black patch of blight on healthy skin and slowly spreads and eats away the good flesh until it's destroyed. And it's one thing to think about that in like our own physical body. It's another thing to recognize that this is the body and one of us stuck in bitterness, stuck in denial of God and his word and his character can become like that patch of black gangrene. That if not dealt with, if not cared for, if not restored, can can spread and corrode and degrade and rot away the flesh of the church as a whole. That That brings a little sobriety to the matter and a little seriousness to the matter. And so we give oversight to one another out of concern for the individual and concern for the whole. We want to avoid any presence of corruption. That bitter root must be dealt with. Otherwise, it will spread the stench of corruption among all and drag many down with it. We also need to be concerned for desires. All right, so again, that there be no. We've seen that no one comes short, that no root of bitterness. And here, finally, in verse 16, that there be no immoral or godless person like Esau. Those are basically working synonymously that godlessness and immorality go together because when you turn away from God, when you don't seek God, what do you seek? You seek yourself. You seek your pleasure. You seek your flesh. You live according to the flesh. It's a desire to serve self or idols in the rejection of godliness. This is a person driven by their carnal urges to the rejection and ignorance of God and his truth. It's like Esau. He was so driven by his hunger. We find this, and we don't have time now, but you find this in Genesis 25 and 27. He was so driven by his own desires and immediate um, just concern for his self that he traded every semblance of long-term thinking and care and prioritization. He traded all of that for a bowl of stew. He lost it all because of red stew. And I understand God's sovereignty and he chose Jacob. I know, I know, I know. But he's focused on Esau and he's focused on his heart and his conduct. And he's saying, take care that no one in your church... Lives in such a way that he's so consumed by the moment and the now and the flesh and, and and carnality and his own pleasure and his own concerns that he is willing to just trade away everything that has eternal weight. And I don't believe the author's saying that people can be believers and lose their salvation. I think that would be contrary to clear teaching in God's words, but I do believe that this warning is mirrored in those other passages throughout Hebrews. It's a strong exhortation to us that we all be aware of the inherent danger of being deceived. And that because of a lack of oversight amongst our body, because of a lack of biblical soul care in the midst of our church life and in our relationships with one another, people in our midst... In our church family here could coast along life thinking that they are saved when in reality they fall short of the grace of God or they become roots of bitterness and not being cared for, not being restored. They spring up and they spread corruption like a gangrene. Or they are so short-sighted and temporally focused that their lives are completely invested in the temporary and thus they miss out on eternal blessing. And you're like, man, Aaron, you're being really heavy. (laughs) And I am because it matters. This this is why we've, we've been doing the Sunday school series is because you see, this is not just, oh, that's the pastor's job. That's the elder's job. God puts us all in a church body that says care for one another, give oversight to one another, strengthen one another, be a, a place of healing alignment for one another in the midst of the hardships and the struggles. This is addressed to a church body, to you and to me. If you claim Christ, this is addressed to you. You see some takeaways down there at the bottom of your sheet. I'd encourage you just to look those over and consider them. Uh, Spend some time thinking about your own relationships and your own conduct and and words in those relationships, how you maybe respond, and what might need to be changed uh, about those responses. And and my goal really is to help all of us to sort of reorient and put the rest of the Sunday School series in the context of this. Okay, that again, this is not just for the sake of... uh, I, I need to help them you know, feel better and deal with life better over here. No, 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 no. This is, this is, this is high-stakes spiritual care, and that's, that's the goal. So let's pray. Father, thank you for your grace. I'm just so thankful that even as I say this, I know that there is so much of this care happening. Thank you for the, the care and concern that goes on in our, in our care groups In the individual relationships, in the life of this church, I beg of you, Lord, that you through your spirit would empower and compel and drive each one of us to care all the more diligently and intentionally for one another in these ways. Father, help that there be no root of bitterness in our church body that would bring corruption. Help our hearts to be focused in the right ways. And as we inevitably will encounter weakness and struggles, God, minister to us through one another. We pray in ways that restore and bring energy and strength and vitality so that we might one day see you. Thank you for that hope. Thank you for that opportunity. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.